Welcome to Bounce Back Stronger, the podcast that explores ways to find peace and purpose after difficulty. I'm your host, Donna Ferris, and today we have Broadway and TV actress Madison Ferris with us. A little bit about Madison. Madison is a New York actor, dancer, voiceover artist living with muscular dystrophy. At age 25, Madison Ferris etched her name into the Broadway history books as the first actress in a wheelchair to play a leading role on Broadway. The play? Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie. The role? Laura Wingfield, the reclusive daughter, opposite Oscar winner Sally Field. A boundary-breaking interpretation, Madison brought her own perspective to the character, portraying Laura not as the traditionally morbidly shy girl, but as a headstrong teenager navigating the complexities of life with muscular dystrophy. In addition to her Broadway debut, she has appeared in multiple TV series, including her role as Dana Mason in the Amazon thriller series Panic, as well as roles on Law & Order SVU and Shades of Blue. And soon, she will be appearing on the New York City stage again in the play All of Me, which is described as a hilarious and candid portrayal of class and disability in modern America. It was written with her in mind for the lead. Madison, thank you so much for joining us on Bounce Back Stronger. I'm so honored to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. What a great opening. I was like, wow, I sound so good. (laughs) (laughs) And I always like to start off with how I know the person. And um, (laughs) so I know you by marriage. You are my husband's niece. And so I'm just so blessed to have gotten to know you as a result. Yeah. And you've seen me do a few different plays, even one she didn't mention. So it's nice to have an interviewer that actually knows me. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw All of Me, which was amazing. And I think the other one, and I can't remember the name of the other one that I saw that was a more of a round theater. It was that Brick City. I love that one. You were so funny in that. Thank you. Thank you. I try. I don't mention this much in at all. I don't think I've mentioned this all. But I have a background in theater too. And I just really admire somebody who has really good comic timing. And you do. You have tremendous timing. Thank you. Yeah. I remember I didn't watch a lot of Friends growing up, but I remember they were doing an interview and the actress who plays Phoebe was kind of getting left out of the interview. And David Schwimmer, Lisa Kudrow, that's it. David Schwimmer was like, what she does is the hardest thing. And none of us can do what she does. And it's so true. Like comedy is way more difficult than trying to get yourself to cry on stage or screen. So thank you. In that role, and I think in general, it's the making it real. It's being completely deadpan, but still be real. You're not looking for the laugh. You're just being the character and innately funny, and you're really good at that. Thank you. Yeah, they say when you try and look for the laugh, then the joke's already dead. So Dead on arrival. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Your journey to Broadway is pretty remarkable. Can you share some of the pivotal moments that shaped your path in the world of acting? Oh, yeah. That's That's a big question. In terms of how I got there, I'm not really sure. Like when I was going to college for theater, I never thought I would do Broadway. It's just such a big white whale kind of dream that I think people around the world are like, oh, I'd love to be a Broadway performer. And I never thought that would be my trajectory. I thought if I'm lucky, maybe I get to do a movie. The great thing about being in the arts is you just never know where it's going to lead you. You just kind of have to like an improv, just say yes 
and to everything. And I guess my trajectory was I did it for fun in high school. I knew I was going to probably do some of it in college. And I auditioned for the theater program at Muhlenberg. They were like, sure. And I wasn't the darling. Like I wasn't in every show. I realized I wasn't really into singing. I was more interested in plays and watching people perform in real time, just feeling what they're going through and connecting with people in acting classes. I was like, wow, this is really moving. I really want to do this. And so I did a showcase at the end of college and I moved to New York. By the way, I was very pessimistic throughout this entire experience. Like I was like, I'm probably not going to be an actor. I don't see anybody like myself on camera, on stage. There weren't a lot of opportunities for people with disabilities. I always had like a double major. I thought I would be involved somehow, maybe like media communication, like behind the scenes or do something. I did get an agent from the showcase, but I didn't really go out on a lot of stuff. I was living in New York. I was doing other things. Acting really wasn't working out. I moved out of the country. (laughs) And this was like a year and a half into living in New York. And I, I moved out to Australia. And of course, couldn't be farther from the city, <laughs> literally. I don't know if there's a farther place. <laughs> and my agent said, hey, they're looking for Laura's for The Glass Menagerie, which just so happened to be one of my favorite plays. And they were looking for an actress with a disability. And I kind of had this moment where your heart jumps down to your stomach or leads up to your throat, you like feel really hot. I just remember feeling like electrified when I read that email, like I have to do this. And then five seconds later, it comes crashing down like you're sitting on a couch in Sydney, Australia, you can't do this. But I had this like very weird gnawing feeling that no matter what, like I had to try because the people in charge were some of the best people to work with. It was Sam Gold, who is this Tony award-winning director. And I didn't know much else. I just knew that it was going to be something great and I wanted to be a part of it. So I'll cut to, I did send in a tape. I didn't think anything would come of it. And then two months later, I got the yes. And my cousin Emily, who you know very well, was like jumping on top of me and we were celebrating. And the whole experience was very surreal and one of the greatest moments of my life. And then ever since then, I've just been saying yes to whatever project comes my way. And I really love the yes and. Yeah. I think it's actually a theme from another podcast I just recorded about being able to say and in life in general so that you can see the possibilities or allow the feelings, all the multiple feelings. I mean, there were so many good things in that, that, you know, you were aware of how you were feeling, you were aware and honest about what could happen or what might not happen. And you just kept going. It's impressive. Do you see yourself as a trailblazer? You're the first, you know, in a wheelchair on Broadway. That just seems it shouldn't have taken until 2017 for that to happen, right? It just says so much in so many different ways. How do you feel about being the trailblazer? How do you feel about it taking so long? And how do you feel about the future in this pursuit of acting? Yeah, I remember when they did tell me that, I think I said the same thing, like, oh, really? (laughs) Like, that's kind of- How can that be? 
Yeah, it's kind of sad um, for <laughs> theater. At the time, yes, it was this like pivotal moment of like, you're the first. And it was, I kind of wanted to downplay it at the time. I was like, hey, I'm just here to act and I just really want to do a good job. But I think that it is something I should be proud of and it is something that should be recognized because I think it's not just about me, but it's about us as a society too, of like us being more interested in all different types of people and all different types of stories. But I guess my initial reaction was like quite intimidation and I would never call myself a trailblazer, even if you are um, or if other people are. And now we have a lot more interest in disabled actors and I think the tides are turning so slowly. I think it all comes down to profits. <laughs> but if people see that, oh, actually this is like a really funny, relatable story, that's all that really matters. And I think you'll definitely see that in the play that I'm doing. I had a professor in college who said to me once, he was like, I went to see a play. The actress was blind. That's the whole story. Bored me to tears. And I was like, huh. And his point was that having a disability is not a story. People go to see a play or a movie or a TV show to see a story, see a character they can relate to or watch them struggle or try and achieve something. It's all active. I think that's the main takeaway is if you have a good story, people will go see it. If the actor has a disability or not, people will still go see it because it's a really good story. And it's relatable. The way that all of me is discussed is a hysterical story about class and being disabled in America. That's I like that. I first and foremost, it's funny, but it's relatable about all of the family situations. And then also about the differences in having money, the differences in having challenges. And I think it really handles it all well. Yeah, Laura did a really good job on it. It'll probably be our seventh year working on the project. So if anyone was curious how long a play takes to get to a stage, well, the New York stage anyway, she's been writing it for a long time and we've just been doing readings and COVID and more readings and we performed it up in the Berkshires. So now it's coming to New York. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in April, right? Yep, 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 yep. And we'll have all the links for that. So you've had the excitement to work with a lot of different actors and personalities. Is there any story that you're willing to tell? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll, might I'll throw think. people under the bus. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of surreal kind of celebrity moments. I have a few. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I'll tell you a few and then you can edit whatever once you want to <laughs> Sounds <keep>. good. <laughs> So one really weird moment was, I think it was when we were performing The Glass Menagerie, there was a lot of star power in my cast and there was a lot of star power in the audience. And they very rightfully so never told me who was coming that night. <laughs> and I wouldn't find out until I'm backstage and then these actors would come backstage to congratulate Sally or Finn or Joe. And so we were still in previews. And about in the sixth row, I saw Daniel Craig. Ooh. And I was pretty sure it was him. At the start of the show, we had to stare out into the audience. And I was like, is that Daniel Craig? Anyway, back to the script. <laughs> 
And then you just kind of do the play and you somehow forget about it. And we went backstage and Sally was so upset because she had, I don't even want to say skipped a line. It was something so minor, like absolutely nobody noticed. And only I heard it because I'd been doing this play in rehearsals for so long. But she was like beating herself up. She was like on the verge of tears talking to me. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe. And all of a sudden I hear, oh, shut the hell up. And it was Daniel Craig. He he just came in and started like teasing her, being like, oh, shut up. He was like dropping obscenities and being like, oh, cut it out. And she's like, when did you get here? As if like, that's normal. Yeah. As if he's (laughs) always there. And he was like giving her a hug and be like, no, you're fantastic. You're fantastic. And I'm just sitting there like, what is going on? And that was just the first of many weird instances that I had. I was really obsessed with Mad Men. It's like one of my favorite TV shows. And when I first moved to New York, I physically bumped into John Slatterly from Mad Men. And I kind of pretended I didn't know where I was going on the street. And then little did he know that my phone at the time, the ringtone was the Mad Men theme song. But I just kept being like, oh, where's Prince Street? And he's like, oh, take two blocks. And I kept acting dumb just so I could keep talking to him and his wife, who plays Mona on the show as well. And then about two, three years later, I was not even like, I want to say a year and a half later, I went to the opening of his show and I went to the after party because it was the show happening right before the glass menagerie and he saw me and I think he recognized me and then later I asked for his cot every actor has a cot that they sleep in in between double shows and I asked for his cot and he wrote me a little note and it's just weird how many instances I had with John Slatterly this is even weirder I I saw Jake Gyllenhaal Uh, One time in a restaurant and I kind of followed him down the street. And when I say kind of like I totally followed him (laughs) and I was like, sir, sir. And he stopped like, oh, God, what does she want? Like a lock of my hair, like a psycho. (laughs) And I just said, hey, I really loved your work in Love and Other Drugs. I think it portrayed a real problem disability in America in a really great way. And he kind of relaxed after that. And I had like a random 10 minute conversation in the snow with Jake Gyllenhaal. And by the end, he's like, so what are you up to? I was like, I'm also an actor. And he said, well, welcome to a shitty business. And then when I was doing The Glass Menagerie, he was doing a show right next door to us. at the same time and it was just a very weird oh now i'm doing the same thing he is in the shitty business in this (laughs) shitty business (laughs) i think he was probably referring to like tv and film which can be a lot more finicky i think he does a lot of theater because he really loves it one thing i want to say you know there's this whole thing with past live regression if you've ever talked about that or listened to anybody talk about it we tend to be 
in orbits with similar people over and over again, life to life to life. So it's interesting, you were kind of orbiting some of these people and continuing to run into them. That's something that if somebody was talking to you about past life regression, they would say that's how it is. We tend to keep running into these people and keep working through our relationships with them. So it's just kind of interesting that it kept happening to you. And and don't be surprised if it continues to happen to you. Now that you say that, it's like, oh yeah, there's a few people like that. And I have laid worked with Daniel Craig. Later on, after that moment, I then did like a reading with him. And it is like weird cyclical thing of like, oh, you again. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why it's always really good to be good to the people because they're going to come back around again, most likely. Yeah. You've done theater and you've kind of alluded a little bit to differences between maybe theater and doing TV and and other things. And maybe talk a little bit about that. I'm sure to most people, including me, that is an area that we're not familiar with. Totally. It really is two separate mediums. And I was thinking about it a lot this morning where TV and film is very much not about the actor, which sounds kind of weird to say, because when you watch it, it's all about the actor you get maybe 48 hours to prepare for an audition because there's literally hundreds of people behind the camera doing everything from making sure you're fed, getting you there, putting your makeup on, doing your hair, the lighting, the camera angle, the cinematography, the editing. So much of the story is not the actor. And that doesn't mean to say that we're not doing a lot of work for the roles, but I just did an audition where they asked me to just basically be myself. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Versus theater, it's all about you. I mean, no one's really paying you much to be there. You work really long hours. You have to transform your body, your voice, and it's demanding. You're on that stage. There's no hiding. There's no cut. There's no, uh, let me try that again. I think theater is a lot more demanding. It's a lot more about the language versus TV and film is all about the visual. So you tell a story literally through moving pictures on TV and film. And on stage, there's a lot more listening that you do. There's a lot more language and the scenes are much longer. In TV and film, it's here's a problem. Now it's fixed in like a page or two. (laughs) In a play, like you could watch an actor be on stage for minutes, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute long scenes. And the problem is still not solved. (laughs) You're still going. There's a lot of differences, but I would say, I think for theater, you're watching people that really, really want to be there because they love to do it and they worked really hard. I mean, both are difficult. I would say theater is just a little bit more taxing. It sounds like it. It sounds also that you can get the response and the connection with the audience immediately too, right? Versus Mm -hmm. how long does it take for something that you work on as an episode or as a series to get Mm -hmm. on the air and then people are giving you all this feedback, right? And it's so delayed. Yeah. I went to a Broadway con, which is basically Comic-Con for Broadway nerds. And a girl approached me and she's like, are you Dana Mason? I paused a second. I was like, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because it was so long ago. Um, Not long, long, but just a few years where I was like, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But also because I was there for theater that I wasn't expecting someone to be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this TV show. Yeah, this is my other thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
So maybe as we tie up, there's anything that would help listeners understand how to bounce back stronger from whatever they're going through? Any tools that you think would be helpful? Yeah, I mean, this has been like a particularly hard run for me just because there was COVID and then I was working a little bit more and then there was well two strikes that happened this year. And it's very easy to fall into this place of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Should I be doing something else with my life? Am I good enough? And as someone that has a disability that gets weaker over time, I'm constantly thinking like I did in college, should I be doing something else? Should I be doing something else? But ultimately, you don't really have much of a choice as to what you like to do. (laughs) So it sucks when you can't do the thing that you like to do and you get kind of cranky and miserable. But if you just keep saying yes to those opportunities that do come along, I do find that I am a lot happier. I think that can apply to a lot of different things, people's hobbies, work, etc. I think you have to keep doing what you love to do. I think it's also really important to have a community that supports you in what you love to do. I was really lucky because I grew up in a small town and I met some best friends since I was like three years old. And not a lot of people can say that, but I also just went to a wedding for my friend from college. And I think there's so many studies out there that say, if you have a community, you'll live longer because you're happier. (laughs) If you're less depressed, you have less inflammation and inflammation leads to death. And you know what I mean? Like I- yeah. I would say find your people and make connections, like get off the internet. Say hi to your cashier, start up a conversation, open the door for someone, talk to people. I don't care if you have social anxiety, like I just just like make daily connections. You'll feel so much better. And I think when you feel better, you'll start wanting to do the things that make you feel good as well and bring you joy. That's amazing. That's a perfect way to end. I really appreciate you doing this. And I am really thankful that you're in my life. So I want to make sure that I say that as well. Oh, Donna, I'm so glad you married into our family. <laughs> Me too. If Kevin wouldn't have done it, we, we I would have thrown another brother at you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for today. If you want to learn more about all of me and Madison's upcoming appearances, those links will be in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, please subscribe, drop a review, or share it with your friends and family. That's the best way to get it in the hands of those who may benefit. And if my daughters, Sienna and Sylvia, are listening, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. And I love you so much. Bye now. Bye.